Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add my podcast in the how did you hear about Podgo section of the application? What up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Black Expat Podcast. My name is Carl, and I'm excited to be rocking with you guys for yet another episode. It is a wonderful Sunday, daylight saving time back in America and other places around the world, but not for Taiwan because we don't do daylight savings out here. It just gets dark when it gets dark and it gets light when it gets light. But as always, make sure you guys check out my YouTube channel. I'll be uploading all of my Her Story podcast episodes onto there. So if you don't have time to listen or if you want to check it out on YouTube, make sure you go there and check it out. That's where you can go and find it. It is Women's History Month, and I am very fortunate and honored to be able to meet, collaborate, and talk to so many amazing Black women from all around the world who are doing amazing things in the places and spaces where they reside currently. If you have not already, also check out my articles on Medium and subscribe to this podcast if you're listening. But today, I have the honor, the pleasure uh, to be joined by an amazing person who I went to university with and who has helped me in so many ways that she knows and maybe she doesn't. But I have the honor and privilege of welcoming welcoming Danny to the Black Expat Podcast. She's residing in Spain and doing some amazing things out there. So once she calls into the show, we'll jump right into our interview with the wonderful, amazing Danny. And shout out to her for being the first guest ever in the history of my live stream for calling in right on cue. Danny, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, you're coming in clearly and perfectly. Thank you so much. How are you? What time is it there where you are? It is one o'clock. Is this a good yeah. time for you? Like, are you in person where you're like at maximum energy around this time? Yeah, I like to wake up early. And by early, I mean Spanish early. So like nine, <laughs> but it's a perfect time. <laughs> And yeah, and I don't know when I was in Spain like this, yes, I still don't get the time frame, so maybe we can get to that uh, as we talk more in the interview. But if you don't mind, I'd like to just jump right into it. Can you just tell us, introduce yourself um, about, you know, who you are, where you're from, um, and how you ended up living and working in Spain? So my name is Danny, um, and I was born and raised in Chicago um, on the southeast side, and I kind of always knew that I didn't really fit all the way in. And I knew from about the age of maybe high school age that I was probably going to leave the United States at some point to live elsewhere. Um, I didn't know where that was going to be, but I knew that I probably was not gonna stay in the US forever. Um, so grew up in the South Side. Um, I went to private school my whole life in Chicago, a little bit of a sheltered existence, I'll admit, but it did provide me with opportunities to um, get exposure to other cultures, other languages. I grew up speaking Spanish, and I knew that that kind of set me up for a life abroad. Well, that sounds amazing. So when you were, 
through all the experiences that you had, right? And when you were thinking about moving to Spain, what was something that you were maybe a little bit apprehensive about, I guess, when you were thinking about actually packing up and going? And then what experiences or what about your childhood shaped or prepared you best to be able to live and thrive in Spain for as long as you have been so far? Oh, good. Okay. Well, I just want to start off by saying I didn't want to move to Spain. Um, I had no intention oh. of moving to Spain at all. <laughs> I, I had like always kind of considered myself one of the underdogs, not in the land of the colonizers. So I don't know where I ended up here. But um, <laughs> I, I, I knew that um, why. Okay, so Chicago has a huge, huge Mexican and Puerto Rican population. I and mean, that's what I grew up around mostly. So I grew up learning and speaking Mexican Spanish. I didn't, I've never actually traveled to Mexico. Um, but I started doing um, study abroad type experiences at DePaul, and that led me to Ecuador for before I started my, my freshman year, which also took me to like El Salvador and Costa Rica, um, and then Spain um, for like winter term in service and winter term projects and things like that. So I think um, I was apprehensive about moving to Spain because I didn't want to be a traitor to the people I grew up side by side with. It felt a little bit uncomfortable for me coming here. Um, Spain, although it's Mediterranean, it's still quite European. But if you ask like someone from a Nordic country, Spain is basically like, <laughs> they're brown, you know, like compared to like, you know, Denmark and Norway and things like that. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was apprehensive because I didn't want to feel like I was selling out or going to live in a place where the people I grew up around, the people I had contact with, had been so affected by this country and, and its history. So that that concerned me a little bit when I moved here. Um, and as for like how my childhood prepared me to live abroad, my parents let me do, let me rephrase that, they trusted me to do anything <laughs> that really like set my mind to do. Um, so when I when I made this informed decision, they were completely supportive. Um, and I mean, anyone from Chicago will tell you like, it's great, it's a wonderful, beautiful place, but if you have the chance to get out, like why not? So they were really supportive. So it cut out for like a second when you said your parents trusted you too. Can you just, re just restate that part really quickly for us? I apologize. Yeah, yeah, my parents trusted me to do whatever I wanted to do and put my mind to do. So they, when I made this informed decision to move to Spain, they supported me 100% because if you have the chance to get out of Chicago, like why not take it? So you said in Chicago, you grew up uh, in a community uh, full of Spanish speakers and they were primarily from Mexico and Puerto Rico. Is, is, is that correct? Yeah. And you said that uh, you were a little apprehensive about moving to Spain uh, because of you know, the way in which you grew up. Uh, so like was so I know going going into that, you said you didn't really want to move to Spain. So what made you like after moving there? Uh, and being there for a short period of time, what made you finally decide to say, you know what, um, I'm okay with being here for one, and this is the place I can see myself staying for an extended period of time after, you know, year one and year two? So I moved to Spain because I, I did a, my graduate program here. So I had the choice of spending four years studying in Vermont, um, or I oh, can do okay. a more intense yeah, or I could do a more intensive master's program in Spain and actually, because my master's in Spanish linguistics, so I could get like the full experience here, the lived experience. So that's why I came here. Because um, <laughs> I was like, I don't have four years master's money, so let me just go ahead and knock this out <laughs> and do it in Spain. 
Um, and then when I graduated from my master's program, we had the opportunity to start teaching English um, in charter schools. And we were offered um, contracts to do that. And at that point, I think I was 23, 20, maybe, maybe 23 or 24. And I just kind of weighed my options. And I thought, do you want to go back and stay on your mom's couch for a couple of months until you kind of get your bearings? Or do you want to take this contract, start working here, and then continue building this life that you've kind of invested a couple of years in already? And that's why I decided to stay. Okay, it did it, at the last part it said, I just kind of weighed my options. What did you say right after that? That's where it cut out for maybe five or six seconds. Yeah, so um, I weighed my options and I was thinking like, do I want to go sleep on my mom's couch for uh, a couple of months while I get my bearings? Or do I want to take this opportunity to start teaching here and continue investing in this life that I've started building already? Hmm. So you spent uh, time in college. I know we went to the same university. So when we say winter term in service, that's for everyone listening. Uh, that's basically, I think, uh, during winter time or winter school, um, DePaul, the university we went to, offered opportunities for us to travel to different countries, right? So I went to Egypt and then I ended up studying abroad in China, which was kind of backward uh, to my journey to being here in Taiwan. But like, which, uh, so can you talk a little bit about those experiences uh, when you went to winter term and the countries that you visited um, and how they may be similar or different than the experience that you've had while you were in, living in Spain? For sure, for sure. So the reason I decided to go to DePaul in the end was that I was accepted to their first ever DePaul and Ecuador program. Um, it was the inaugural year. And basically before I even started taking classes at DePaul, I was on campus during that summer before my freshman year started to um, study Spanish in an intensive. And then we went to Quito for, I don't remember how long, but we went to Quito and it was like a small group of us and then I started school at DePaul. So like that program made my made my mind up when it came to deciding what university to study at. Um, so that's why I chose DePaul because we, they value studying abroad so much. Um, living in Ecuador really opened my eyes to how sheltered my childhood had been and just the disparity between the, the wealth disparity basically. Um, and it showed me that there's more like Spanish language is really complex and they don't speak the same way in every single country or city. Yeah. So I think that kind of made me want to study linguistics, Spanish linguistics, specifically that first experience. But um, my other service trips were, now that I look back on them, can be deemed a bit problematic, you know, these like really privileged university students um, going to countries and quote unquote helping yeah mm. but um <laughs> what i what i did learn what i did learn is that i'm passionate about spanish i'm passionate about language and um there's a lot there's a big world to see and i i have options and that's what i learned from from those trips mostly so i know you, so you've been living in spain for quite some time and you've had a lot of experience with the language would you consider yourself uh fluent like 100 percent fluent um and speaking the language Totally, totally. Because I grew up around it. I grew up immersed in it. I remember like my first expressions were like calling people mocoso chismosos, which are like 
tattletale boogerheads kind of thing growing <laughs> up. And I was like, obviously that's a young ass thing to say. That's a young expression <laughs> to say. So um, yeah, totally, totally. And I think that I'm I'm well versed in different types of Spanish as well. So that that helps. Huh. So like, what's been one of the hardest things like to adjust to uh, while living in Spain? Because I, I mean, I'm sure language hasn't been one of those things. Uh, like living in Spain versus uh, your previous countries of residence. Um, let's see. The hardest things about living in Spain. I think sometimes there's a bit of guilt being so far away from my, my parents and my family and friends. Um, I'm not in a country where I can just kind of hop on a flight and be home in a couple of hours. So a little bit of guilt, um, especially I think because of the time difference, you feel it more. No, if we were in the same time zone, it'd be a lot different. But so yes, a little bit of guilt. Um, being in Europe um, and still kind of sticking out as a black woman, um, especially in Spain, that's been challenging at times. Um, and what else? Honestly, like I had spent my entire adult life here. So I don't really have much, like many points of comparison. I think I, I noticed it more when I used to go home to Chicago that I had changed so much and that I was more the other side than I was Chicago side at times, you know, like getting stuck on the, on the highway, not knowing how to get off the toll road and things like that. Like things that used to come second nature stopped coming second nature to me. Um, after living in Spain for so long. But all of my pain points in Spain, I've kind of chalked it up to no place is perfect. And again, mm. my whole adult life has been here. So I, I haven't even lived in, I haven't even gone to a club in Chicago. I have no idea what it's like. <laughs> really? Huh. Yeah. I mean, I left when I was 18 to go to DePauw. So, yeah. Oh, so after university, you didn't like spend any significant amount of time back at home. It was university and then boom you were living abroad right after that exactly yeah i we graduated in may and i was by august or september i was already in spain man you know what that, that, that's so funny because i mean i know when i graduated in well yeah we graduated in may and then i was on a plane the like june uh to china and then right from china I was in taiwan but like i i have been back uh, a few times as well in between that so like how often do you or how often have you gone back home since you've been abroad is there do you try to get back once a year or is it kind of you know like i'll make it back for the big moments or when i feel like i just need to get back home and be around you know family um when i first moved to spain i would go home at least once a year um partly because i needed to renew my visa um, no. you can only do that. <laughs> you can only do that at the consulate. <laughs> um, and then once I once I became a permanent resident, um, my family started coming to visit me once a year, which was really great. Oh, okay. But um, I haven't been to Chicago or the United States since 2014. Uh, so you haven't been back home since 2014? Since 2014, yeah. Six years, almost Ooh. seven. Yeah, it's a long time. Ooh, that's a long time. Without Harold's chicken? Oh, my God. How do you... I don't need do chicken! Do <laughs> oh, that's right. I'm sorry. You're vegan. You're vegan. Okay. I was I, I was speaking for myself, guys. Danny is a vegan, which I also want to talk about um, as well. 
Man, so how does the resident process work there? Because I know out here in Taiwan, it's uh, after you've worked, after you've been here working consistently and consecutively, non-interrupted for five years, uh, you can apply for what's called like an alien resident permanent, permanent, alien permanent resident certificate, right? Which just gives you um, a lot of the same rights as citizens outside of voting. So like, what is the process like to become a resident in Spain? Ooh, that is a loaded question. There are so many different routes to get there, but the route that I can tell you that I took, I came to Spain on a student visa for my graduate program. And then when I started teaching, um, I was teaching kindergarten specifically in these charter schools, um, I updated my visa. It was still a student visa, but it was kind of like you were allowed to receive a quote unquote stipend. And on that stipend, you weren't paying taxes. So it was kind of like you were, what's the word? Like a teacher's assistant, basically. Okay. Um, and, and that was still under a student visa. And then I actually received residency through my partner, um, through my husband. So we first did a civil union, which allowed me five years of um, residency so I can like live and work here. And then after that five-year card expired, which was actually last year, um, I received my like permanent card which is like every 10 years it's basically just turn in a new photo update your address and no more paperwork but it was a lot of process it was a lot of paper a lot of photocopies a lot of proving that we live together that we are together um but yeah so i went from a student visa to a civil union and then obviously we got married but it was the same in their eyes um in the spanish government's eyes and then now I have permanent residency which means every 10 years like any other spanish person when your id expires you would just go and like update it and get a new card. So I don't have to fill out any more applications anymore, which is the best part. Huh. And is it, well, I don't, you don't have to say exactly how much it is. I want to get all up in the numbers, but is, is, it, a, is it an expensive process? Um, is it, it sounds like it is very tedious as most of them are, or is it, you know, is it something where it's affordable if you do want to uh, become a resident, uh, a permanent resident in Spain? Well, it's affordable in that, um, you don't have to pay to become a resident. It's more just paying like fees for the application or paying for the copies or paying in my case for a, a historic, like a, an accountant or what are you, like, what's someone who does things for you? Like an accountant, maybe a lawyer yeah. kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pay, yeah. <laughs> paying someone to do this process for me. Um, that, that was a little bit expensive, but it, apart from that, it was just like being married. I think our civil union was maybe like, I don't know. It's been so long. <laughs> maybe like a, a couple hundred euros, maybe for the actual civil union thing, like the fees and everything. But it wasn't. I don't remember being expensive. I just remember there being a long list of documents and having a lot of boxes to tick. That's what I remember mm. the most. If it was expensive, I would remember. Eh? <laughs> I would say. Yeah. So, I mean, you haven't been home since 2014. So, I mean, like, how do you how have you managed to maintain a uh, film? maintain relationships with your family um, and also, you know, close friends that you've had either while growing up or that you've made um, while in college. Patrick says hi. Um, so, yeah. So how have you managed hey. to do that um, with being absent, <laughs> being absent from home for so long? Also, wait, you and Patrick laugh alike. I just want to say that. Um, so <laughs> how have I maintained these relationships? Um, the Internet helps a lot. Um, WhatsApp helps a lot. FaceTime helps a lot. Um, I'm super, super fortunate because a lot of my friends are as interested, if not more so, in travel. So my one of my best friends from college um, was uh, from Wabash. 
and <laughs> he loves travel. So he actually came and lived in Madrid for a month and a half, just oh. just cause. Like rented apartment, and just lived in Madrid, and we just like hung out, and he had his life here for a month and a half, and then <laughs> went back home. Um, and then I used my wedding as a mini reunion, so I got to pull everyone in and like hang out for a week in Portugal. Um, and like I said, my parents will come; they're they're divorced, so they'll come at separate times. So I get like two for a double <laughs> dose of family love. <laughs> so they'll come in like summer, and then at Christmas, my mom comes. Um, and yeah, I think I think the difference with my story is that I got married quite young. I was our civil union was when I was 25 years old. So mm -hmm. I moved to Spain at 22. So I didn't have a lot of time here, quote unquote, on my own. I found my partner quite quickly. So when you when you in a relationship, <laughs> uh, you kind of have your person like a kind of like an all in one. Um, so I didn't feel lonely. I didn't feel lonely and I didn't feel like I was missing out too much. Um, but with my friends and my best friend from home, Ashley, she, she works with a company that also has ties in the UK. So she would come over once a year as well to visit. So I got really, really fortunate with that. So with, with that being said, because I know you kind of alluded to it already. So then um, outside of, you know, your friends and family from back home who uh, who you also work to maintain relationships with. And I know I, even for myself with my friends from back home uh, from high school and even from college, uh, you know, we spent so much time apart. But I think uh, what people tend to forget sometimes is how much time you actually spend with your college friends and with your friends from high school. Right. And you spend so much time with them that once you're away and then you come back together, it really is for some people and for some uh, friends like you haven't missed a beat because you're just so used to, you so you're so connected over the times you spend together that that short time or that long time apart uh you know it really doesn't hinder the relationship at all but how have you uh then built community um in spain and what is community like for you uh in spain as well yeah well um i'm fortunate that i live in madrid and that it's a really it's the capital it's a really big city and there are a lot of really interesting people here so i started meeting people when i first moved because my master's program was very vanilla um it was very <laughs> vanilla and i didn't like it was a transition moving here and feeling just like a sticking out like a sore thumb and not having anyone i can talk to about that with um so i looked turned to the internet and i found a facebook group entitled Bellas Morenas, which sounds like it could be something naughty. It just translates to beautiful brown women. Um, <laughs> but I started meeting people through through that Facebook group, which then in turn became an even bigger community. And um, the thing is that we're there's enough that you have a little bit of everybody, a little bit of everything. Like if you're like, oh, I need you to connect me to an artist. I need you to connect me with a singer. I'm looking forward into getting into marketing. Do you know anyone who does marketing? Like we have a circle and we have a network, um, but that's just like long, like I've been here for so long. Like that's how, that's how I'm able to like connect people now. Like I used to be that I used Facebook to make these connections. And now I feel like I'm more able to connect others. Uh, I used to call myself, I literally give myself a nickname, but it was like the fairy godmother of black women in Spain. Because at one point I was felt like, like an orchestra conductor, like, oh, you need to meet this person. You need to know this person. And we help each other out a lot. Um, so it started with the internet, like most things, <laughs> and kind of grew to community off the screen as well. But I used to host meetups at my house. Like I used to just go and buy like appetizers and like little things and have girls over. I would host different types of events. 
is to get people connected because we all need that. Um, and I don't ever want to sound like I'm ungrateful for my life in Spain. I love my life in Spain. I literally built it from scratch. You're like, I'm an immigrant, <laughs> like standing outside <laughs> in line, applying for a, a visa immigrant. But it, it does feel nice to have that familiarity and that like feeling of home um, that you get and you can only get when you're around people who are kind of similar to you. So what is something that you feel you take for granted being, uh, having been in Spain for as long as you have been so far? Um, what is something that, that you feel that you may possibly take for granted that a person who's just entering Spain for the first time or a recent expat or, or a recent immigrant uh, would, would kind of experience within their first few months or, or even a couple of years of living in Spain? Something I like see as normal now or, or yeah. okay. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think about how I kind of felt when I first arrived here. Um, Spanish people are loud. Um, Spanish people are loud. And when I, maybe when people come here, they may think that they're shouting at each other, but they're probably just really happy to see each other. Um, so that's something that now I kind of see as normal and standard. You know, they're very like jovial in general. Obviously I'm speaking with blanket generalizations, but they're very like, jovial and, and really affectionate people and, and, and emotional. <laughs> they get a little loud. Um, so that kind of shocked me when I first moved here, but now I kind of see it as standard. Um, I wasn't, I, I came here, I never really called myself like super American. No, I'm not patriotic. I'm not, that's not me. But um, I had, I now identify as an immigrant and I remind the students that I teach that I'm an immigrant and I use that title with pride um, because when I first moved here, maybe something that other Americans who come here may have a hard time adjusting to was that we're not quote unquote special. <laughs> like we don't get special treatment, especially because we're not from another European country. So mm. the difference is that like, if you're coming from France and you wanna move to Spain, dope, European Union, go to a little cute little office, submit your address, boom, you're registered. You can live and work here freely. I had to, like apply every nine months for a visa. I had to submit paperwork. I had to like show documentation. I was turning in like Metro cards to show that I've been here, <laughs> here continuously, you know? And yeah, like going your first op your first experience going to the immigration office, which in Madrid, the biggest one used to be a jail and kind of still is a jail, just a different okay. part of it. <laughs> um, standing outside in the winter and everyone around you is just colors of the rainbow. And you're just like, but 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 my passport is blue and gold. But, but what do I need to, what do I have to, and it's just like, yo, and I, I, I didn't know I needed that. I didn't know I needed that wake up call of like, yo, you're not special here. And it's hard for Americans to move to, to Europe and to move to Spain and get like working rights, you know? So yeah, now I take that as completely normal. And like my European husband is very much like, oh, it's okay. Like just make one copy. And I'm like, no, no, no. The form says two, I will bring three. Like, I'm very much more on my P's and Q's because I know what it's like to not feel like I have the God-given right to be in a place. And I think that a lot of Americans need to kind of experience that because it's, it's really good. It really changed how I, how I do things and how I see myself. You know, that's interesting because it is like, it's very different from my experience, I guess. I, and from my, not just my experience, but experiences that I've heard others say again about moving to Taiwan. Again, uh, the process of becoming a resident was fairly simple. Um, I went to the office, it was a few stamps, there was no questions. Like if I didn't have a copy, they made a copy for you at the office. Um, nobody spoke English though. So having, you know, having the language background definitely helped during the actual process. But 
over time, because I've been here for 10 years, uh, it's gotten better and better because more foreigners have actually come here uh, seeking to become residents or being becoming more open to being residents because of how easy the process is. But I guess, again, I've never personally experienced um, a hard process with becoming a resident. So it's interesting to hear that, you know, like getting a wake up call in that sense. I think as a black male, it's a wake up call for me in a different way. Uh, like, cause I don't have that level of privilege being in Taiwan and being a black person, uh, as a white male would have being here. Um, so it still is a little bit different, but it's still easier. Um, as I listen to your story, it appears to be easier, uh, and more, you know, just, just easier than uh, a process would be being an American and going to live in Europe, uh, and specifically Spain. Yeah. Huh. Interesting stuff. So what passions have you discovered or rediscovered while you've been living abroad in Spain? traveling um i i my first couple years in spain like every weekend i was trying to catch a flight and go somewhere different and solo traveling as well and i do it now even even as a married woman like i still travel on my own and i'm like this so well obviously not now now <laughs> but um i would i used to just go for weekend trips on my own um i didn't realize how independent i could be and how self-sufficient I could be traveling alone as a young woman in Europe, you know, it, 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 that experience is invaluable. Um, so feeling that empowerment to like plan a trip from start to finish, um, get yourself from the airport to your place that you're renting, find the apartment that you're going to like stay in, like all of those things were just, it was constant milestones. Um, so I rediscovered or discovered my, my love of travel and especially solo travel. Um, I think I also discovered my love of teaching. Um, I I learned what I didn't want and what I what I do want. I taught in kindergarten. I taught kindergarten for four years, and I realized that's not my jam. But <laughs> teaching adults has been <laughs> it's been a welcome a welcome change, and I love teaching adults because I feel like I'm genuinely helping people reach their goals in life, and that's really really cool. Um, and Let's see, what else? I don't know. I think, like I said, I, I have a hard time doing like a before and after because there's not much before, you know? Like when you mm -hmm. come someplace at 22, like you, I don't really know what I was doing at 22. <laughs> I just <laughs> ended up here and then now I'm just, I'm still here. Um, but I think that even that question is more like, what have you discovered? What hobbies have you discovered since the whole lockdown situation more than my time in Spain? But that was actually my follow-up question. I'm like, hey, during the <laughs> lockdown, I know it was different for everyone, you know, in Taiwan. Uh, Patrick and I were fortunate and unfortunate at the same time. For unfortunate because, you know, we own a bar here and lockdown means no customers, losing a lot of money. But fortunate because, like, we we have, like, we have something. We have an entire building. We have one another. Um, and because of, you know, our, our unique skill sets, we were able to basically and on our interests and Patrick created an entire business, you know, during the lockdown, I was able to expand my podcast and get into writing and, you know, rediscover my own passions. But what, what were some of the things that you were able to, as you said, uh, discover or create or do uh, during the lockdown in Spain? Um, so during the lockdown in Spain, I learned how to be an even more effective communicator <laughs> because European apartments <laughs> are not huge. So cohabitating with your partner 24 hours a day will teach you some things. Um, I I learned that I should stop saying things that I can't do. Like, for example, I always said, oh, I can't bake or I can't make this or I can't cook that. 
And then I just started getting into cooking and baking and doing all the things that I said I couldn't do. Um, I got even closer to my dog, which we adopted in 2019. It was such such a blessing having him here. I love my dog so much. (laughs) Um, Let's see, what else? I read 81 books in in 2020. Hey, that's amazing. Shout out to you. That's that's oh man, that's a lot of books. What's that? Five? That's a lot of books. Seven books a month? That's impressive. It's a lot. It's a lot. So yeah, uh, I read a lot. I read a lot. I rediscovered that because I was a lit major. So um mm. having the chance to read and not have deadlines was really, really nice. Um and I got a new job um in 2020 and I took on a whole new role. Um and now it's kind of just wearing different hats of being like a teacher and a marketer and a wife and uh, a dog mom and all of those <laughs> at the same time. But luckily, um, we have, I don't know, I see the end, the light at the end of the tunnel with everything. And, and since we're both introverts, my husband and I, like, it's been really cool having this time at home. And, and I, I've needed this time to kind of reflect and, and learn and kind of do some more self, self-work. Um, so I have no complaints, honestly. I have no complaints. I've been super, super fortunate throughout the entire process. And that's something that, you know, I, I think that, that that that's definitely what kept me going throughout the entire pandemic as well, because I was always searching for, I know it was hard for a lot of people, you know, especially us, I know, and other people that had businesses or, or, or were stuck abroad and things like that. Like, these are hard things to deal with as an expat. But um, one of the things I kept saying, I said a lot on my podcast and to myself, I said, Oftentimes, you know, being an entrepreneur or just being abroad, you're like, man, or, or not even just being abroad, just living. You're always like, man, if I had the time, I would do X, Y and Z. And what the pandemic did was it gave a lot of people, maybe not the money, but it gave you the time to do some things that you wanted to do or that you always thought about doing. Right. So I think it kind of motivated me to say, you know what, I've always been looking for this time uh, or I can't go anywhere. I'm locked in like I can't go out and do things I would usually do. How am I going to best? How can I or how will I? best utilize these time, this time now that I don't have any excuses. And what ended up happening for me is that all the habits that I developed because of the pandemic, which is still going on, but you know, Taiwan's been open since, shoot, April of last year. Uh, but all the habits I would, was able to develop because of the pandemic and being locked in and not having customers in the bar transitioned over to my post-pandemic life as well. So it actually helped me develop healthy habits, uh, which I definitely tried to speak about a lot because, hey, it was very easy to become to become less motivated during the pandemic because to find the motivation to do things was difficult, uh, especially being far away from family. Um, you know, and the people who didn't have that community as well, I'm um, hard to kind of muster up the courage to, and the energy just to go out and do something different. So like, how have you managed then, uh, kind of, I spoke on it for myself, but how have you managed to be, stay consistent with the things that you rediscovered uh, during the pandemic? Or how do you plan on remaining consistent uh, once Spain opens back up again full and you're able to go back, you know, to traveling and doing some of the other extracurriculars that you did outside of the home? Mm, well, I, I thrive in routine. Um, I do really well with like systems that are put into place that I can kind of tick off and go through. So the only, like I, I live for that stuff. <laughs> I love that. So I like having like my wake up time and then like, you know, spraying my plants with water and then taking my dog for a walk and then coming back and doing yoga and then taking it. Like I, I live for routine. So I, I feel pretty confident in my ability to be consistent. Anyone who knows me will tell you that. If anything, I'm consistent to a fault. Um, so 
it's being inconsistent that I need help with like breaking these <laughs> routines and like doing things that are more unexpected or spontaneous or unplanned that I will probably need more effort and help with. But um, one thing that I can say is that since I'm now working two jobs, which I two jobs that I love, um, my work week is about 55 hours and I have not been reading as much. I've been reading every day, but I'm not, I have this like desire to like beat my, my, my record from last year. And I don't think it's going to happen. So that's going to take some accepting on my part, but like I have been um, super consistent with every other part of my life and just trying to be more present and mm. knowing that um, I'm what I've, okay. I guess my main shift is I'm no longer waiting for this to be quote unquote over. Uh, I'm not, mm. I'm not sitting here like ex expectant. No, I'm more just accepting that this is what we have right now and do the things that make you feel good, that are good for you also, um, if they overlap even better. And I'm not trying to plan for too far ahead because as we've seen, plans are cute, you know, but they also <laughs> change, <laughs> they also change, so. Oh, thank you. So you talked a little bit, a little bit about um, finding your partner. And again, you don't have to go as in-depth about it. Uh, if you don't want to, feel free to uh, diverge away from the question. But what, what was it like uh, dating uh, abroad, you know, as, as a black woman in Spain? Like, was it, an, was it easy to meet people and, and have, have the interactions where you're actually seeking relationships? Or was it something that was kind of spontaneous that happened? Um, like, what, what, was, what is the dating culture like? How would you describe dating culture in Spain? Yeah, so obviously I haven't dated in a while, so there's totally <laughs> going to be updates to this <laughs> that I'm just not familiar with. But when I was dating, um, I found a couple different things. There's a different culture when it comes to um, family and 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 living with your family. And okay, I'm just gonna say what I mean. Most a lot of Spanish men live at home until they're maybe in their thirties or like late, late twenties. And that's oh, something totally different than what we're used to in the United States. Like you leave your home at 18 to go to college normally, no? Um, so that was a little bit strange for me. Um, and also I, because I'm an English speaker and because my, our language is so, um, is the commodified the right word, <laughs> valuable here, I guess. Um, a lot of my interactions started off with yeah, like let's 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 practice my English. Like let's be language exchange partners. And I remember, like, I was like, I don't want to be an English teacher in a relationship. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> so trying to like make those lines very clear um, was something that I wasn't expecting to have to do. Um, also, Spanish men, in my experience, we never had like the conversation. You know, like when you're like young, you're like, oh, we talk. Like, yeah. oh, we go together, but like, we don't. <laughs> like, I just remember, like, I was with someone for like a couple months, and then I was like, What is what is this? And he was just like, Oh, yeah, like, we're, we're dating. I'm like, You've never, we never talked about this at all. So, um, my experience, and like I said, my husband is European, but he's also Australian. It's so, like, after dating for a month, he's like, I want to be exclusive, and I was like, Whoa, what? <laughs> but like, that's just a complete difference from like quote unquote, hanging out with Spanish men. No, it was kind of just like, well, obviously we don't need to talk about it because it's just happening. And I'm like, eh, 
really? No. So, um, yeah, the main thing was like being referred to by my skin color a lot. And in Spanish, it's typical, no? Like, you call some morena, negrita, like, they're, they're terms of endearment, usually. Um, and then being used for my English speaking abilities as like a private teacher, which we can normally charge between 20 and 25 euro an hour to do. Right, um, right. <laughs> as, a, as a date and i'm like i'm not gonna help you with your cv on this date sir i'm just not <laughs> so so yeah those are the main the main things i ran into man you know it's shocking it's shocking how similar like my experience is one i'll, I'll make it brief one yes taiwanese women like the woman i dated when i was 22 she was 30 years old at the time so yeah i gonna live with my parents until i get married and i'm like man that's that's wild like again, it's, it, at the time, it was like, man, that's that's wild. It's like you you like that? Like I, I have to be home by eleven o'clock every day. Man, you're thirty years old. Again, it's just so it's so foreign to us because it's like it's not well, definitely not how I was brought up. Um, I know I moved out true when I was yeah when I was eighteen years old uh, to go to college, and then two. Um, man, what was the thing you brought up? Oh, I already forgot. Oh oh yeah, the the language thing. Like yes, how they call black they how they say like black person it's very direct it's like oh you're a black person but it's not like <laughs> the way we say black it's like the color black and i know they don't know what you're a black person means you know like the way that we say it so i'm like uh it rubs me the wrong way like i need you to i need you to call me by my name uh in my in my country which again i'm american not just black uh again but that that's different i can break that down later and then um yeah the the tutor thing the funny thing is that's how many people before the rise of the internet and facebook and twitter and instagram that's how people would meet like they would foreigners they would uh go to language exchanges not you know as dates but just to meet different people and meet locals because it was hard like it was just hard to make connections uh and and to, and to meet people. But yeah, this is so fascinating how we have shared experiences in the way like the cultures are so similar. Like the living at home thing, it still boggles my mind. Like I get it now that I've been here for a long time and I've asked like, you know, hard questions to have these with locals that live here. But um, it's just, it's so, it's so fascinating. Hmm. Yeah. But you said you traveled a lot. So I know, have you traveled to most European countries? Like where did you spend most of your time traveling to? And what and that was it. Like, like, where, where did okay. you see yourself? Oh, yeah, because I, I was gonna ask. I know I gotta stop. And it was a weird pause. I was gonna ask which was your favorite place to travel to uh, as a solo traveler versus places you would like to travel to, like with groups or with your significant other. Okay, dope. Yeah, I think I've been to most of Western Europe. Europe is big. Europe is big, but um, I think I wanted to do all of the hard hitters when I first moved here. So like Paris, Rome, um, Venice. I don't know, Dublin, um, I don't know, I've been like Lisbon, I've been to Portugal, I've been to France, I've been to Germany, I've been to Switzerland, um, I've been to Malta um, a couple times as well. So a lot of Western Europe um, and a lot of travel in Spain, like I think people sleep on how much there is to see in Spain. I think I've traveled more than most Spanish people. It's kind of like when you're in the United States, then like, have you been to New York? And I'm like, no, I haven't. But you're from Chicago. So yeah. <laughs> same thing. Like you ask a Spanish person, have you been to this place? They'll be like, nah, I haven't. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I my favorite place to solo travel, I think I really like traveling within Spain, mostly because I can bring all of my hair products and I have to check it back. Um, so that's cool. But I love the South of France. I love the South of France. Um, I like it more than Paris. Um, Marseille is where I've been. I've also been to like um, Bordeaux as well. And it's just magical and beautiful. And 
like a painting, but not overwhelming. For example, when mm -hmm. I went to Rome, I spent a week there and, and like, how many times can you see something so friggin' historic? And you're just like, ah, I can't absorb it all. It's so much. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is the Colosseum. I can't process this. But, um, but yeah, the south of France is my favorite place to travel. And also I really like the north of Spain. So okay, because because I you know when when I when we when we went to Spain, um, I really enjoyed Madrid. Uh, it was again, but I, I just enjoyed walking around and getting. And th this is mostly Patrick because he's he, he's a wanderer, right? So he'll just go. He'll be walking down the street. He'll see something shiny. Then he'll chase it for seven hours. The next thing you know, you wake up <laughs> in like a completely different hostel, right? So, um, I, but we've always gotten into a great, you know, great wonderful adventures. Uh, just from from going off the beaten path and seeing different things. But Spain was absolutely beautiful when I was there. I know we did Madrid and Barcelona. We did way too much partying in Barcelona. There wasn't that much culture that we honestly were able to soak in. But by the time we got to Madrid, we were broke. So it was like, hey, what can we do that's free and that looks nice? So uh, we were just walking around and seeing everything. But I really love like the vibe and the feel of it. Um, have you traveled out like out, outside of Europe? Uh, have you traveled extensively outside of Europe? And if so, uh, what's been one of your favorite places to go uh, that you've been to? Yeah, so when before I moved to Europe, most of my travel was in South America, um, specifically. So yeah, I spent in total, I've spent over a year in Ecuador between all of my trips and terms and service and all of those things. Um, so Quito was stunning. Waking up and looking out your window and seeing volcanoes, there's nothing like it. Um, so I loved, loved, loved Quito. Um, I did, like I said, I did that winter term and service in Costa Rica. It was a little bit too... Um, too touristy for me a lot of people are retired in costa rica because it's there's so much beautiful nature and things so at the time for me i kind of didn't feel like i was getting an authentic view of the country um but i also did my study abroad my senior year in the dominican republic and that for me i feel like and i hope this doesn't sound ridiculous but like that i love the dr because like I'm a, I, I, it just, it just fits. <laughs> like, <laughs> it fits. Like I can walk through I've, every place I lived. I've always kind of stood out. You no, know? like if I'm in Quito, I'm half a foot taller than most people walking around me. If I'm in Europe, I'm black, you know, if I'm in Chicago, I'm not black enough. Let's get into that another day. But yeah. So <laughs> um, when I was in the DR, like everything fit. I talk like them. I could dance like them. I ate similar foods. I just was a chameleon. And like, that was the one place I felt like I had like a home court advantage. Look at that sport metaphor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had a home court advantage because I was like, yo, if I don't tell you, or unless of course you pick up on my accent or something, like no one, no one's calling, no one, no one, I'm here. Like, this is it, this is my space. And even though I was studying abroad with a lot of people, like it was the one time where I was the one who was blending in and I was the one who was really able to get a deeper experience of the culture. And I wasn't um, like on the outside looking in when I was in the DR, you know, like, whereas when I studied abroad in Spain, the white people had the advantage, you know, and then I was kind of like the one who you knew just wasn't from here. Um, the DR was the exact opposite. So I love the DR. Um, I love it so much. I don't live there because for me, I think the ideology a little bit, was a little bit tough for me to swallow. For example, having to straighten my hair every week, being told not to go get my hair wet in the water, even though we're on this beautiful island, not being able to feel comfortable going into the water, um, being told to like carry an umbrella so that I don't get darker, 
they were too tan, um, little things like that. I just, I couldn't get on board with. So like the ideology that, that I experienced when I was there was kind of tough. I mean, that's why I don't live in the DR, but like, believe me when I say like, that's, I fit there. Like I fit there a lot, but the other side, I couldn't compromise. Huh. So uh, I guess that, that that's a good segue into my next question. Like, could you see yourself or where could you see yourself living um, in the next phase of your life? Are you guys committed to just staying in Spain long term or are you looking to uh, venture out and live in another country around the world? Yeah, I think we're a bit torn. So on the one hand, it's hard to leave a place you've invested 10 years of your life into, you know, I mean, or more. My husband's been here longer. Um, so we kind of and we know it and we know it really well so it's also that like safety feeling no that comfort that comforting feeling but i we want to buy a house and buy like a bit of enough land to to grow things on like even if it's just like a small garden to sustain ourselves and we can see ourselves doing that in spain so that's like one path we're kind of flirting with and the other hand we kind of like the idea of moving a bit further north in Europe, um, maybe to the Netherlands. Um, we really like it there. Um, and it has the order and the structure that we sometimes crave when living in the Mediterranean. <laughs> like We kind of miss that life when people say they're gonna be on time, they're on time. And when you turn in a paper, you turn in a paper and then that's it. And the process <laughs> is smooth and things are easy and it's like, okay, and they give you personal space and it's just really, really nice. So. Also because it gets so hot in Madrid. Oh, <laughs> man, <sunny>. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. On the one hand, we're thinking about moving maybe not in a city in, in Spain, moving to like a smaller village and kind of making a life there or moving to the north of Europe, to the Netherlands. And Okay. So you, you could see, okay, because I know for me, like I've always thought about like where I wanted to raise a family, like in Taiwan, because for me, it's like, I know I don't want them to be in the school systems here. That's just a personal thing that I wouldn't want. But I'm like, you know what, since the pandemic, I'm like, I'm actually open to homeschooling. So I guess uh, I don't have to worry about my kids. They, they can live wherever I'm happy. Um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not, always something like I always ask, like, what do you, when you've been somewhere for an extended period of time, uh, how are you thinking about, you know, the next phase in your life after, you know, marriage and uh, like, where do you live and where do you raise a family? Where do you have a family? Like, where do you take your dog? Things like that. These are all really, really important questions to ask. If you had, let's see, if you had to choose um, a country that you don't really know that much about, that you haven't had experience with, that you think would just be a cool place to try out and live um, with you and your husband, like, where where would that place be? Like, nowhere in South America or in Spain or in Europe. Just like, where would some place that 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 you've never thought about living, but you've always had a little bit of interest in and in staying. Like, where, where where would that place be for you? Ooh, I've always wanted to see what life would be like living in in Cabo Verde in in, in Africa and Cape Cape Verde Cape Verde Cape Verde. I want to live there in Cabo Verde. I think it'd be a really cool place because um, I study Portuguese, I speak Portuguese, and they're black, which would be dope. Uh, and it's an island, which would make everybody happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I would think I would love to see what life would be like in Cape Verde. Hmm. You know, I, I, I want to go back to one thing that you said about, you know, being in the DR. And I, it, it really got me thinking because I'm like, man, I'm, I'm a black man. I speak Chinese. There's literally no place I could go where <laughs> I speak Chinese. Nope. And it's like, oh, that's normal. You know, like, like, like yeah. there's, there, 
there's 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 no level of comfort for me so i'm definitely gonna pick up another language but that is actually a very powerful and interesting thing to say to bring up because i've never i know people who've gone to visit dr uh, or who've spent you know time during uh for living maybe three to six months but no one's actually spoken about it in that way and i'm when i say no one i mean black women or black men have spoken about it in that way so i mean really really good thing to hear because i know a lot of friends who always talk about it and hear about it but wouldn't know what it would feel like to live there. I think that language is a big thing. Is that fair to say? Like knowing the language was definitely beneficial. Um, but even without the language, I think just that level of comfort may also be uh, something that's, you know, inspiring or encouraging to someone or some black woman or man who is looking to, uh, you know, live in a place uh, where they can get feelings like that. Again, language aside, uh, just a place like the Dominican Republic. And was the scenery beautiful there? Because again, I've always wanted to go. I haven't been. I think Patrick's been. Uh, is it a beautiful place as well? Just like the way that it looks and, you know, mountains and rivers and hiking and things like that? Oh my God, the DR is stunning. It's stunning, it's stunning, it's stunning. And yeah, I don't know. I I, I think about it with such fondness. Um, I don't know. I, I would love to go back there. I don't know, like I said, I don't know if I could live there, but yeah, the actual scenery was really, really beautiful. Lots of beaches, but lots of like really beautiful contrasts of old and new. Um, you kind of get like, I don't know if you've been, uh, have you been in Puerto Rico? Yes. Okay. So you get like that, like old San Juan vibe of like the kind of colonial towers and churches that are left over combined with like newer buildings as well. Um, and the DR is quite diverse when it comes to like, when you go to the interior versus the coast. And then you have Haiti next door, you know? So you got a whole other place to explore. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'll take that back, I'm sorry. I have not been to Puerto Rico. I don't know why, I don't know why I said that. I got close though. But um, but yeah, like, like that's, <laughs> I was like, wait a second. No, no, I haven't. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, the last thing I kind of want to, I kind of want to bring up uh, with you. I know that uh, you have a very specific diet. You do not eat Harold's chicken. Uh, I was corrected early on that. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that I know uh, that I feel and I know because I went back to America to live for for six months and eight months and in, in my 11 years of you know being and living in Taiwan. Um, but I've always said that I feel more healthy in Taiwan because of my diet, uh, the, the food I have access to, uh, how inexpensive it is compared to America to eat the way that I eat here. Like I for seven years, I completely cut, not completely, uh, maybe four to five times a year, I would eat fried food and I cut out fast food and I wouldn't eat fried food at all. So I, my body just felt healthier and more alive uh, comparatively speaking to when I was back in America because my diet just changed. So like, what is your diet? Um, and then what, and how do you advertise that or tell people about it and, and inspire them to live the healthy lifestyle that uh, I've seen you develop, but I kind of want you to talk about it too. For sure. <clears throat> so just for context, I have been, well, I grew up in a vegetarian household and that my mom, well, no, let me be specific. My mom is pescatarian, um, okay. but back in the day, we didn't have a word for that. So we just called her vegetarian because she didn't, she didn't eat chicken. So <laughs> I grew up like around that, having that as an option. And then I decided to go vegan when I was 11 or 12. Um, and I kind of just made a presentation about it, told them I wanted to do it. And then I made that choice. I first went vegetarian and then I went completely vegan by the time I was in high school. Um, I didn't do it the right way. I don't recommend letting your children who are 12 or still growing um, to make that choice on their own without full supervision. Yeah, without like you controlling their diet a little bit more to make sure they get everything they need. Um, so when I got to college, ask around, your girl was tired. I was anemic. <laughs> I was anemic. I was so tired. And like, I literally mean actually anemic. Like I was tired my freshman year. Um, 
and then you're poor in college. So it's like, yeah, I'm just gonna eat this bowl of corn for dinner. And it's like, <laughs> no, bruh, like, <laughs> do better. So um, I, it's been a long journey in my life of trying to figure out what being vegan meant to me. And I got to a point um, where I adopted a plant-based diet and I distinguished the two because for me, plant-based means 99% of the food that I eat like five ingredients or less, like they're made from plants, you know, versus being vegan, which now that we have all of these options of like vegan burgers and vegan chicken and vegan sushi and vegan, all of these things, they're still processed. Yeah. So I try to limit the amount of processed food that I, that I consume. And that's why I consider myself to be plant-based. Um, living in Spain is really great because we have access to so many um, fresh vegetables and fruits and all of these things. Um, it helps a lot. One thing that also changed the whole game for me, carrying your groceries. <laughs> because oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't drive, I don't drive here. So it's not like you just head to the grocery store and then put everything in the trunk. Like I walk to the supermarket. So if I can't carry it, I'm not bringing it home. And that's definitely oh. taught me about like how much to consume and is any more mindful, you know, much more mindful about what I'm eating. Um, but my average spending for for our house for fruit and vegetables, like 10 to 12 euro a week. And I'm talking like kilos upon kilos of, of like fresh produce because Spain produces a lot of it. So super, super fortunate. On the outside and looking in, like people will think Spain has a super healthy diet. They're great. You know, they have fish, that's cute. And like, they have olive oil, we like that. But what, what you don't know about Spanish people is that like with their vegetables, they add ham. <laughs> They add a lot of ham to their vegetables and like they also overcook their vegetables to the point of mush. So like you're not going to see a Spanish person eating a raw carrot. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. So like I just want people to like have a bit of perspective about like this because if you ask a Spanish person, it's like Spanish diet is the best diet. It's Mediterranean. We have it's the best. And it's like, but your green beans are like cooked down to a pulp and they're, and they're smothered in ham juice, bruh. Like, is that really, <laughs> is that really the best option? So um, Spanish diet, yeah, cute. But for me personally, we adopt a plant-based diet in that. We just try to buy in season. We try to support our local grocery stores, um, our, lo our local supermarkets, like in that, like the fruit ones, the fruit and vegetable ones specifically. Because we do have chains, but we also have like little mom and pop ones as well. Um, and yeah, that's that's how I would describe it. <laughs> Man, that's so interesting because I know in Taiwan, like a lot of families and I've never been able to adapt this, but I've always wanted to. Um, they 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 buy, you know, things that don't necessarily need to be fresh, like beans and like oils and stuff like that to cook the food in. But uh, the food they buy, because there's so many local markets where you can just go in and buy, you know, fresh, fresh fish or fresh meat or like things that you'll see made right in front of you. I mean, a lot of them, like they buy their food daily and they eat their food fresh every day. And that really does have an impact on your diet. I know for me, you know, when you're when you're working full time and you're running the bar, it's kind of hard to have that balance of just just with the overall time that you have, because it is. And I, I think just from watching how you do things and just talking about it, it is a commitment. Eating healthy is a commitment because it's very easy for me to get super lazy and just say, you know what, nah, I'm just going to throw this, whatever it is, in the oven and bake it, right? Because I don't like cooking on the stove and I don't like using oils in my food. But man, that like that sounds amazing. So do you think you could have the same or similar lifestyle if you were back in America with the way in which you eat um, or has the environment or do you think the environment of being in Spain and the way in which you shop, like not having a car and then going grocery shopping and just the price of the produce, um, has that really you know helped you uh, maintain the way in which you eat and your, and your overall healthy, healthy lifestyle? 
Yeah, um, I think that the United States, it's almost as if they don't want people to be healthy. Um, by the way, they like price things and how things that are not as healthy are pushed so far to the front of the line that you really have to go out of your way to find something that's really, really good for you and affordable. Um, so I, like I said, I, I'm not maybe the best person to speak on this because I haven't been there in six years and I haven't lived there in a decade, but I will say that when I go home, I spend way more money, um, way, way more money just trying to get the things that I would normally get here. And I don't feel good about that because I don't want to keep encouraging that system that punishes people for wanting to buy like apples and not have to spend an arm and a leg on it. Um, Another thing that helps here is that our sales tax is included in the price. So there's no surprises. So when it says like 199, like it's 199. Um, So that takes a little bit of the anxiety out of shopping, especially when you're trying to feed people on a budget, if that's your situation. So I think that Spain really has spoiled me. And that's why I've chosen this European country out of all of them that I visited. I always come back to Spain because of the access that we have. Um, We're super, super privileged because, I mean, oranges, like, come on, we grow them. Olive oil, Spain is the number one producer of olive oil in the world, not Italy. So, like, we have it right here at the source. Um, So I don't think that I could live like I do um, on the same budget and with the same quality in the United States. I don't think so, at least not in Chicago from my, from my memory of it. Um, it's just so much more expensive. Like you can, like you can drive a block and see like four fast food restaurants and then like no grocery stores. Like when I haven't talked about food deserts yet, I'm just saying like, it's hard to go, like it's hard to go buy mm-hmm. fresh stuff. I know. Yeah, and that is definitely true. And that was a big thing for me when I thinking about moving back home is people always think it's about, you know, I, I do love and miss my family. If there was a way I could, you know, see them more often, I would definitely do that. But it's just, it, it's really, it's really the lifestyle and the healthy lifestyle that I want to live. It's like, for example, where I live in Taiwan now, like my gym is two minutes away. And so is a grocery store. And so is a fresh market. And I pay, I pay all my bills right next door. So literally within uh, within maybe a one mile radius is everything that I need to maintain my my entire life, right? Which then gives me more time to do the additional things maybe a little bit more further away without having to worry about, oh, making to the grocery store on time or, oh, I have to get here before, it's clo- before it closes. I won't have time within my day to do it. So even working full time, Taiwan is a very, a convenient place where you don't where you can maximize the time that you have for yourself, whether you're working full time or you're an entrepreneur or you have your own company, you know. So that's one of the things I've always thought about and always think about when, you know, deciding when is the time to go back home or do I where do I want to live for the rest of my life? Because I've had a different experience uh, than just living back at home in Chicago or living in different cities in America. I've lived out of the country and heard so many amazing stories from other people who live outside of the country as well. So with that being said, are there any, is there anything else you'd like to mention about your time in Spain or are there any other questions or any questions that you have for me or anything you'd like us to go more in depth on as well? Yeah, no, for sure. I just have like a couple quick things. I think the reason I, I haven't looked back when it comes to United States and when it comes to living in the United States is partly because of I took a long time to figure out what I wanted in life and what my non-negotiables were. And that those for me are feeling safe, um, having access to healthcare and quality of life. And Spain has ticked all of those boxes tenfold. 
Um, I've never once felt afraid of a police officer, even though they walk around with full-on automatic weapons across their backs. Like, I've never once feared them here. Um, obviously, there's residual trauma that when I first saw it, I was like, what? But now, <laughs> after 10 years, like, I will happily walk up to a police officer. And the national ones are so, so attractive. National cops here, great, recommend. Um, but I never once felt fear walking around the streets here. And that was important for me. Access to healthcare, Spain has universal healthcare. And knowing that I can go to the doctor at any point and not expect some bill that's gonna cripple our family or put us into debt is incredibly reassuring and comforting. And it takes so much stress off of your plate um, and just quality of life, knowing that like, it's okay to just go for a walk around the block here and have no destination in mind and just talk to your neighbors and say hi to your to your fruteria guy, like your, your grocery store guy and your butcher or whatever. It's really made me, I think it's taken, I think it's added years to my life, um, honestly, because I'm not constantly worried about the essentials. So now I can actually live and find hobbies and interests and passions and invest in things that are important to me. Um, so I'm, I'm forever grateful to Spain for showing me that there are other options when it comes to life. Um, because my experience in the United States was very much, I'm afraid all the time, I'm worried all the time, or I'm annoyed, or I'm mad, or I'm confused, or I'm hurt. And I haven't had to navigate those feelings as a result of living in Spain. Obviously, I navigate them as an American expat in Spain or American immigrant in Spain, but in a different way. Um, so yeah, that's why I love living here. That's why I love living here. And the question I wanted to ask you was more kind of like about your choice of medium. So I know that you're also a, a published author and you also do vlogs on YouTube and you have this podcast. And I just wanted to know of all of these different mediums that you choose to, to build bridges and communicate with, um, which one have you found is the most, that brings you the most, that brings you the closest to your audience basically? Oh, that's a good question, because I know which one I enjoy the most, but that brings me closest to my audience. Um, oh, wow, that's that's a hard one, because I know uh, whenever I'm behind the microphone, I am the most I'm, I'm at my I'm at my highest level of comfort and my highest level of joy. Like I know I used to when I first went into podcasting full time, like I, I want I did maybe three episodes a week and I loved it. But, you know, just from a business standpoint, that's not the best thing to do because uh, you kind of want to space out your content and uh, make sure you get gift, like give yourself time to advertise and so on and so forth. But um, since I've launched the people have always said that they wanted to physically see the things that I've done and see my face and kind of put a face with the name and a face with the experiences. So the podcast is good for information sharing, right? And getting stories out there and providing people, you know, giving them the flexibility to start and finish whenever they want to. Uh, but with my YouTube, I condense some of the stories and even the overarching things that I cover while podcasting. Uh, and I put that into, you know, a video form and also include, because one of the good things, the best thing I did when living abroad and one of the best decisions I made was to never stop taking pictures, right? People are always like, oh, you're always taking pictures, you're always video recording. And I don't take away from the moment because I always put my phone down eventually, right? And I'm always in the moment, but I have so much footage and so many memories and so many things to share. And I have pictures to kind of, you know, to kind of make that correlation for those who have never had a chance to 
go out of the country or have experiences in, in the way in which I've had them. So I think uh, what I've seen, which which is why I'm, I'm almost on I'm 50 episodes in now on my YouTube channel in just over uh, six weeks, I'm, I've get I've had more uh, communication with people who are listening and with followers and with my audience uh, through sharing my YouTube more, which is why um, I've become even more passionate about doing it. And I enjoy it a lot more. Uh, than I did when I first started because I was really nervous and shy about doing it. But um, I got more courage to continue producing the work that I was producing and sharing uh, through that medium because of the impact I saw it ha- having on my audience in a different way than my podcast has. Not to say that my podcast doesn't, but YouTube does it in a different way. And it reaches uh, a certain audience that I was trying to reach when I first started you know, podcasting five years ago um, and why I started sharing my stories five years ago and why I wrote my novel you know, seven years ago, again, was to just put information out there and show, you know, people, whoever wanted to listen or tune in, uh, what they could do or, and what is available throughout the world, not just in Taiwan, not just in Chicago, where I'm from, but just all over the world. And I've, I've been fortunate enough to have many experiences and, you know, it means nothing if I don't, if I'm not able to share that with people that, uh, you know, that I love and people that I don't know that, you know, could potentially find something that they're interested in doing and pursuing because something that they've seen me do um, and share via YouTube. So that's a very long way to say YouTube. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no, please. What? Please don't apologize. <laughs> YouTube. Got it. Okay. Okay. And it's probably because of the visual aspect now and then the way that you're able to touch people in that way. Yeah, because I mean, it, it definitely, I mean, you know this as well, like it shifted. I mean, when I first started, when I started podcast, this was in before, YouTube has always kind of been a thing. I don't want to say always, I mean, like in the last 10 years, but uh, Facebook and Instagram wasn't that big. I mean, we used Twitter in college. Twitter's kind of always been around, but it's really just for like words. It's not for like photos and videos and sharing and things like that. But when I first started, I, I wasn't able to, I didn't have a high quality camera. That was Patrick, right? I wasn't a photographer and I'm not, I'm none of those things now, but just with technology evolving. Uh, you kind of have to grow you know, with the times. Podcasting, just like radio, is never going to go away. I think there's always going to be a need for the spoken word, right? Which is why radio shows have kind of just evolved into podcasts and people talking through that medium and, and while we still have the news and things like that. But I think now people are people are becoming more and more visual because that's how we digest a lot of our information through what we see visually and what we hear. Um, so YouTube has kind of just been one of those natural, like a natural progression for the type of work that I've been doing. Uh, and how I want to make an impact and continue to have an impact. So, yeah, it's kind of just like a, nat- a natural progression. But um, are, are there any other questions or anything else you'd like to hone in on? Again, thank you for sharing that uh, your non-negotiables, because I definitely want to dive into that uh, just for myself. Right. It's just it's good to reflect on you know why you've been in a place uh, and why you've called it home for so long. And a big part of that for many people are their non-negotiables. But are there any other questions or anything else that you'd like to add? Am I allowed? I had like two quick questions for you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Cause I don't know if we're like running over, I don't know how this works, but I just wanted to ask these two quick questions. So um, there are not many other long-term expats that I know um, besides like my close circle here and, and you're, you're one of them. So you've been in this country, you've been in Taiwan for over a decade. And I, I want to know if you ever experience, um, this feeling of being completely invested in politics and, and current events in the United States. Um, and do you feel that same way about politics and current events in your chosen country of residence and how you 
yeah, does it does it affect you in the same way? How do you navigate that? Do you get fatigue from dealing with like interests you care about in Taiwan that are happening and things you're also caring about in navigating the United States? Do you pay attention to one more than the other? Does that so make sense? <laughs> It cut out when you said completely, do you feel completely, what was that sentence? I think I think that was the heart of the question. Okay. So I guess I'll just, I'll summarize it again. What, if you, I know you're invested in American politics because you're American, yeah? Mm-hmm. And it affects you, it affects us. Do you also feel that same level of investment after having spent over a decade in, in, in Taiwan? Do you also get active in, in Taiwanese politics as, like, as you would American politics because it's your chosen home? Oh, great question. I think uh, what I am, what I wouldn't say I'm, I'm active, and I and I say that because uh, the the relationship between Ty- Taiwan and China is it impacts us, right? Because if China one day decides they want to, you know, do what they did, do to Taiwan what they did to Hong Kong, that would affect me as a resident living here because I would probably need to leave the island, right? Uh, because that would, that would that would mean a war is coming, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere where you know there is a war. Um, uh, but so I am, I do stay up to date on their, on their political relationships, um, the feelings and things like that, because that's something that, you know, directly affects me immediately. Um, and in, ter- in terms of their politics, because Taiwan is just, it's, it's smaller that the population of Taiwan is less that less than Chicago. Uh, so it's, their politics o- operates on a much smaller scale, um, that, which means it's easier to get information and to understand exactly what's going on. Maybe not everything socially because again i'm not tied into the social i don't understand the social security i don't understand fully how their retirement works for their locals but i do know how it works for me right and that is tied to policy it is tied to their presence so things like that because that information is readily available and every time a political party runs for office this is one of their foundations as well because a lot of taiwanese people do leave and come back and work in different countries that is what i pay attention to but their elections are every four years and it's black and white right it's less complicated than it is back home. And I say that because in Chicago, it's not just the president, right? It's not just the mayor. Like it's, it's, it's the president, it's your senator, it's your, it's your congressman, it's your mayor, it's your governor, right? So many different levels of that. But in Taiwan, it's your city's mayor for the most part. And then it's the president, right? There aren't governors and things like that uh, just because of how small it is, how condensed it is. So it's, I do stay up to date with it because it's everywhere when it happens, right? When it's election time, you have the trucks riding by and they're speaking Chinese. And I understand it. And they're advertising why you should vote for this candidate. I can't vote, but I hear it. So I digested information and at work or with kids or just with friends, they're always talking about it. So you're in it because they're so passionate about it. But everyone's passionate about it so you get that information so i mean i do get i do get america fatigue specifically when uh our last person that was in uh, office for whatever reason uh was in office like i just got tired of hearing all the negative things right and i and i was talking to someone else about this i said my experience isn't black as a black man as a black expat was so different when president obama was in office right i was received differently and then as soon as you know the person after him took office um, it was completely different, right? Completely different vibes, feeling and all that. And it was, everyone felt tense. And people don't really understand how American politics impacts the world. And I'll speak specifically for Taiwan. It impacted that because that's what they follow. After Taiwan politics, which isn't doesn't drag on for as long, it is America. So, and it made everyone tense and hostile and wonder, oh, what he's going to say next. But it was so much negativity put out there that that's what we were kind of consuming subconsciously without even knowing it. So it made us more tense and more on edge and more uncomfortable. So I kind of cut that off just because I didn't want that energy around me. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah it's, uh, 
that's something I actively chose to do because I was tired of the negative things, things about, but I would still hear about it from family and friends and people here. Right. So it was, it was hard to escape it as much as you wanted to get away from it. You couldn't. So, uh, again, that's my long way of saying I pay attention to both, but you know, just certain parts of it. Okay. Okay. And my, my final question for you is simply, um, what are two or three tips you can give to people who are trying to navigate and or launch um, a multi-hyphenate type of business um, with their with their best friend yeah i mean you guys live in the same building you run a you run a business together um you've done other things together like hosting trips and things like that with secret travels um you guys have launched several different initiatives together how do you and you guys are doing it in a different country <laughs> in a different language and everything so how do you guys how do you keep the peace and how do you, how, how, what's the secret you guys working so well together, basically? I don't think that's, that's a good question. Cause I know, uh, and I think is, Pat, I think, well, just yesterday we, we were busy in the bar and I think I was talking to you and, uh, you know, someday because of the virus, some days we'll have zero customers. Some days we're really busy. And it's always fascinating to me how, when we get busy, uh, Patrick and I, we don't have to say words to each other. It's like, he knows what he has to do. I know what I have to do. And the way in which we work together is just like, it just fits and it just works without us having to communicate. And it's a beautiful thing. And I think we both work with others and every, not every time, but many times we'll come back and say, man, this would be so much easier if I could just work with you. Um, but what I will say is that our relationship, because of when I first came to Taiwan and then, you know, eventually, and when he came to Taiwan, our relationship was always very open, right? And we were very open and very honest with one another. Um, I remember, I remember living in our first, uh, getting our first apartment together. And we were like, "Hey, uh, w w what are your non-negotiables?" We didn't say those words back then. We we said it in a very, uh, you know, slang uh, black way. <laughs> but we were like, "Hey, like, what what are your non-negotiables? What do you like? What don't you like?" And it was, and we had very an open communication about it and we respected each other i think our relationship uh, as friends as business partner partners work a lot because we respect each other and we and we trust one another and we've been through so much professionally uh building you know international program together and doing that at a, at a school and seeing how how we always were there for one another and how well we work together and how we fit then it enabled us to then start our own company and own business together but the foundation of all that was the trust that we had for one another and the respect that we had because i think without that respect and without knowing that hey i can say for like from the heart and from experience and just from knowing him what he's really really good at but that doesn't mean, but he can also say what I'm really, really good at. And we respect enough each other enough to know, hey, I'm not going to ask you to do something I know that you're not the best at. I will help you learn about it. I will teach you. I will help you become better at it. But I got your back in that regard because I understand that's not your strong suit. But I know that together, if I combine my talents with yours, we can do something that's unbelievable and that's incredible. So I think you can only, once you're openly honest and you're able to say that to a business partner and even some ways in a relationship as well, that's when, you know, everything kind of is just out there and there's no more feelings of, you know, being anxious or being nervous or, or feeling scared or being angry about things that happen because of that foundation of respect that we have for one another because of the many things that we've done uh, with and for each other through working together and then owning the business together. And always, like, we, like we've always been housemates, like not roommates, but, you know, housemates. Uh, so we've always kind of relied on each other as well as, you know, as our sense of home. And we've always made it a point too to separate those things. Like we, even though I was Patrick's, you know, director for a long time and his manager, we, when we went home, I was Patrick's friend. 
Like I ain't bring none of that back to the house, right? And because I, I respected him, he is my friend, he is my solid, he's my best friend. And then at work, Pat, like we respected one another professionally as well. Um, we made that very clear. And I think that's what allowed us to be able to flourish and continue to do the things that we've done uh, over 11 years. I mean, I mean, there have been some tough moments. Like again, I'm not a morning person. Patrick is an all day energy person. So I know, again, sometimes <laughs> I'll try to be, you know, I, I'll pick up on that. I don't want my energy to bring him down. So some days I'll wake up and I'm just happy. And, but then most days I'm not, that's just not who I am. Uh, but again, he knew that about, knows that about me. So it's not like, you know, detrimental to the relationship, but we're different. Some days I know he doesn't want to see me. Uh, I don't want to see him because again, Every there was one time I seen Patrick every day for five consecutive years. There was not a day that went by where I did not see him, right? How and that's lucky and, you are. right. Like that. So when being able to do that, you have to know when to take breaks. So sometimes we will just stay in our rooms all day. I wouldn't see him. He wouldn't see me. Uh, the only person that would see us would be our dog Ava. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like we knew when to take breaks, how to take breaks. And again, these are things that we didn't really have to communicate. We don't even have to talk about it. It's just, you know what, man, maybe Carl's in his room because he's tired of seeing me. And that's fine. I'm going to play video games and talk to my friends out here on the couch. When he's ready, he'll come out. It's cool. I know. You know what I mean? And I think being able to do that, uh, but then to communicate when you need to has really been a big part of that. But there's no other person I would have, I would rather have or done all the things that I've done with uh, than Patrick. Again, it's been amazing to work beside an amazing individual who is unli his talent is unlimited there's nothing patrick can't do and you know that too being his friends there's literally nothing this this young man can't do and it, it just blows my mind every time he does anything because it's always done uh, amazingly so again i'm very fortunate to have him as a friend uh and be able to you know work with him in the capacity that i have but i'm just also very glad that our relationship is just built on so much respect uh respect and admiration and just uh and loyalty and all those words i can use but yeah so again it's been tough it's not it's not easy but um i think it was made very easy because of the type of people who that we are uh, and the type of family that we have as well oh i love that i love that so much oh my goodness i love it oh yay good i don't want this to be a question for now but i would love in the future if you tackled the topic of self-identifying as expat versus immigrant and what that means I don't know. Can I put in requests? <laughs> oh, requests? Yeah. You know, and I think I might have podcast about that a long time ago. And I, I do. But I, when you said that, I do want to I do want to talk about that because I think uh, I did talk about it a while ago and it was controversial because people come on and say that I was wrong. So I do want to rehash that now that I'm. I've, yeah, I, I do want to get into that more now. Thank you. I will. I will definitely have a, a podcast about that. It'll be a live one, too. because I want to invite people on that are that are expats and that are immigrants or who are confused and in the middle. Like, I don't know which one I am. Can you help me out? I do want to do that. I think that's a great question. Awesome. Well, anything else? That's all. No, I just want to say thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for inviting me and talking to me. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining the show. It's more than a pleasure. Um, again, you have an amazing story and you're an amazing person. You know, I've been following you since they were like, we go way back, like faux flats on a Cadillac too. Um, and, you know, uh, <laughs> so uh, thank you so much, which I really appreciate it. And again, I hope to get to Spain post pandemic uh, and hang out with you guys because I wasn't able to attend, you know, all the cool stuff that you guys were able to do because I was broke, baby. But now I'm going to bounce back and make it a point uh, to get out there and, uh, and see you guys. So thank you so much, Danny, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a lovely rest of your day. You too. You too. And thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Black Expat Podcast. It was more than a pleasure having an amazing guest on the show today. I hope you guys enjoyed everything that you heard. And remember, find out what your non-negotiables are. Again, that's something that's going to stick with me for a while. 
make sure you check out uh, my new i will upload this episode to youtube if you want to check out some of the visuals i'll add along with it and make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast my youtube channel my medium page and a new thing that i'm working on that i will let you guys know in the upcoming weeks but thank you guys for rocking with me again uh become a patreon of the black expat podcast by clicking the link in the description or become a patron in the podbean app thank you guys for tuning in it was an amazing episode thank you danny for stopping by my name is carl the black expat we are out of here